Go to 1 John. We're in a brand new series. 1 John, I'm titling it Confidence. Does anybody need any confidence in the house today? Just two of you. Okay, well, then I'm going to preach to two people today. It's good to be home. It's good to be in the house of the Lord at Harvest Reading. I'm going to do a, a five-part series with you that I'm titling Confidence. Go to 1 John. You remember the author is John. He wrote the Gospel of John. He also wrote 2nd and 3rd John, and then he wrote the book of Revelation. I want you to go to the end of your New Testaments to 1 John, five messages, five weeks in the month of June, and I'm getting the title of this series on 1 John 5, 14. It says, this is the confidence. This is the confidence. Now, we're all familiar with confidence. Our parents tried to raise us with confidence. Now, I was raised uh, as a young person with very little confidence in almost every area of my life. And so one of those areas was uh, swimming. I wasn't really confident in swimming, and so my parents tried to get me to grow in the confidence in the area of swimming, and so do you know what they did? They threw me into the deep end. Just get going, kid, you know, and so I had to just kind of fight for it. My mom and dad wouldn't do that. They signed me up for swimming lessons. Did anybody get signed up for swimming lessons when you were a kid? Does anybody know how to swim in the house here? confidence. We're always looking to increase our confidence, and parents are trying to do that as we were growing up. You're doing that with your kiddos. Now, thumbs up or thumbs down. I'm going to show you a couple of images, people that you think or not think have confidence. Let's throw the first one up. Let's do a thumbs up. Is that confident or not confident? Charlie Brown. Yeah, thumbs down for Charlie, and it's not even Charlie's fault. It's whose fault? Come on. It's Lucy. She's putting the football there and takes it away. Come on, who wouldn't have not... And zero confidence. How about this next one? Thumbs up or thumbs down? Who's this? Or we got confidence? Yeah, that's a picture of me in my younger days. <laughs> All right, everybody, what's the saying? Ought to be back. We're talking about confidence this morning. Let me give you a definition of confidence. Feel, feeling certain about the truth of something. There's one definition. Feeling certain about the truth of something Here's another one. Self-assurance arising from one's appreciation of one's own abilities and qualities. Now, hold on to that one. Some of these wordings here I'm going to use in the five weeks. We got assurance. We got being sure. We got being certain of things. How about appreciation of one's own abilities and qualities? Now, in my life growing up, as I had mentioned, there are times where I thought that I was, I was too confident. Has anybody ever had an imp- a, a situation where you were too confident and you came across too confident? Thanks, Jeff. Anybody else? Is that Rachel back there in the back? Okay, so I'm, I'm a, you know, baseball player growing up, and so went to Liberty University, and during one semester break, I was watching the old-time gospel hour, and Jerry Falwell, who was the president and chancellor at the time, was interviewing Bobby Richardson, and Bobby Richardson played with Mickey Mantle uh, during the 1960s and in the World Series, and so Bobby Richardson was a big deal. And so he was the new coach, uh, the baseball coach at Liberty University, and I was watching that program, and Bobby Richardson said, we are looking for a right-handed hitter who could hit the ball a long way. You know what I did? I jumped up, and I said, that is me. That is me. I know I can do that. And so my dad hired the University of Delaware hitting coach to train me personally, and so I was doing really, really well, hitting 90-mile-an-hour fastballs. It was awesome. I was going to walk on at Liberty University and play baseball and then go on to play for the Boston Red Sox and sign a lot of autographs with the Bible verse on it. And so that was my plan. Went down to Liberty, the semester started, and I went into the athletic building, and I found Bobby Richardson's office, said something to the secretary. She said, just go over there, knock on his door. So Lisa was with me at the time, knocked on Bobby Richardson's door. He said, come on in. 
I said, hi, Mr. Richardson, my name's Chris Crow. I was watching you on TV, and you said that you're looking for a right-handed hitter who could hit the ball a long way. He said to me, do you think you're him? And I said, I do. Yes, sir, I'm that guy. Well, come on out for a walk-on tryouts, and we'll see what you can do. Do you know what I did? I failed miserably. I failed miserably. Ball was hit to me. The ball went between my legs, thrown home. Bring it home, he said, from center field, and I threw it over the backstop. It was awful. Lisa's like, what's going on out there? I said, I have no idea. I think God's judgment is all over me. And so I didn't make it. I had overconfidence. What is real confidence? What is the kind of confidence that we need to live the Christian life? And so there's two words I want to pull from those definitions that I had read earlier. Assurance, that's one of them, or being sure. And how about certain? So certain or assurance or sure. Here's the title of the message for this morning in our first in a series of five, Confident in Relationship. I want to talk to you about being confident in relationship. We're going to look at verses 1 to 10. This is all of chapter 1. And we're going to cover each chapter, one chapter a week for five weeks. And then we'll get through the book of First John. And this is our first book study. So how confident are you in your relationship with God? This is where all confidence starts. Proverbs 3, 25 and 26, I think it's on the screen. You'll see, do not be afraid of sudden terror. The writer of Psalms says, or the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your what? Your confidence. Notice that. And will keep your foot from being caught. And so confidence is going to be necessary from when you go through the deep waters or you go through the valleys, when you go through the tough times of life, the trials and tribulations, you're going to need confidence. And your confidence will be in the Lord. It will not be in yourself. In fact, God's going to take self-confidence away, and he's going to put in God-confidence. That's his goal. Here's another verse, I think, in Proverbs 14, 26. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. What is the fear of the Lord? That's reverencing God. He is El Elyon. He is God Most High. When you lift God up, when you go vertical in your life, when you revere him and respect him and love him, then that strong confidence will be yours, and his children will have a refuge. We're talking about confidence. Galatians 5.10, Paul said this, I have confidence in the Lord. Of course, there were some Judaizers in that text. Judaizers were people that were legalistic. You might know some legalistic people today or churches. They're called Judaizers back in the day of the Galatian church. And so Paul was dealing with Judaizers, and they were came, coming in and saying that you needed to live by the law to get to heaven. You needed to live by the law to be reconciled by God. And, of course, the gospel is how you're reconciled to God through Jesus Christ by faith. And so the Judaizers were coming against the Galatians and that region of churches, and Paul wrote that book. But he said that he was confident in the Lord. He was confident in the Lord and the gospel of God to be able to do what only the gospel can do. Let me give you two principles out of the text. Two of them we're going to look at. You might have a handout, and so you might want to hold on to those and write in the blank. Number one, when we're confident in our relationship with God, we'll be confident in his manifesting presence. Now hold on to this. This is where the apostle John's going to get started in verse 1, take your eyes to the text. He opens the letter with this, that which was from the beginning. Do you see that with your own eyes? Say amen. Amen. Do you see that with your own eyes? It's important that you see the actual writing and not just listen to my voice. It's a phrase describing Jesus as the Son of God, and that's the theme of the Gospel of John. It's also the theme of some of the things that John is going to say throughout this little letter. So you have John writing one of the Gospels. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's a Gospel. It's mentioned in John chapter 1. I think we'll have it on the screen behind me. John 1, 1, and 2, it says, in the beginning, there's that same phrase John uses in 1 John. 
And so there's a connection here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was in the beginning with God. Who's it referring to? Everyone? Jesus Christ. And so John is writing to now this area of churches and these people of God in 1 John, and he's pulling some of these truths that he had written in the Gospel of John about Jesus Christ. It's also in chapter 2, verse 13, it says, he who is from the beginning, 1 John 2, 13. So John's point is that Jesus is divine. He's the son of God. He is God coming down. He is God manifesting in a person, Jesus Christ. This is called the incarnation. Jesus is putting on flesh. He is from the beginning. He has always been from the beginning. It's not the beginning of his birth. That's not what John's talking about, although that might be part of it. He's not talking about the beginning of his ministry, although that might be part of it. He's talking about the preexistence of Jesus Christ. He's talking about divinity. He's talking about Jesus who manifested here on earth was the same Jesus that was in heaven from all eternity or from the beginning. Now, I want you to see something about this word manifestation or manifest, manifesting. It's nine times in the Gospel of John it's used. Nine times total in 1 John is, is used as well, this word manifesting. It's to make visible or clear. To make visible or clear. I'm going to give a demonstration. And so let me demonstrate manifesting. So I'm going to go over here. And I know this is always popular when I do this and I come out into the audience. So just follow me on this. Don't follow me out here. Stay right there. I'll be right back. Okay, so you can hear my voice, right? Say amen out there. I don't hear you. And so you hear my voice, you don't see me. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to come over here and I'm going to manifest. My voice is manifesting. Now what's manifesting? Anybody? Does anybody see me? Okay, so you hear my voice, now manifesting visually, right? And so if I go over here and I go like, what's up, bro? I'm manifesting. Now he's what? He's doing what? He's touching me. God is manifesting himself, and he's doing it with his voice. He's doing it to John by visual. This is what he's going to say nine times in the gospel, nine times in 1 John. And then also, not just visually, but we've actually touched him. We've actually touched God. Notice in verse 1 in the text, we have heard. There it is. There's the voice. Again, we're talking about this revealing. We're talking about this clarity. We're talking about this experience that a person has with the living God, here's the voice. Jesus said this, and I think it's in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice. Do you hear the voice of God? I mean, you heard my voice. You can hear my voice now, but do you hear God speaking to you? Is God manifesting to you in your life personally where he speaks to you and you go, I know that voice. That's God's voice. This is what it means to be manifested. The person of God coming down in our lives, not just John's life. This is not just for John. This is also for us in a much more supernatural way, even more supernatural than the apostle John got when Jesus was physically manifested on earth. You know that it's much more powerful now by the spirit of the living God that he can manifest himself to you with his voice, with his presence. He comes up near people. That's what he does. He comes up and he speaks. Notice this, which we have 
What's it say there? Which we have seen with our eyes, John the Apostle says. They looked upon Jesus, the physical Jesus. They looked upon this man. He was more than a man. He was the Son of God. He was God in human form. This is amazing. This is incredible. In verse 1, you'll see, I have touched or we have touched us or touched him with our hands. Look at Luke 24 on the screen here, 24, 36 and on. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus stood among them. And he said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened, thought, saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet. This is, that it is I myself. Touch me, touch me, touch me. I wonder if Jesus is saying, touch me to somebody in the house here. You're saying, wait a minute, he's not physical form. He's at the right hand of the Father. But yeah, you can still be touched by God supernaturally. That should be happening to Christians, this manifest presence coming down, coming next to. And so why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands, my feet, this is I myself. Touch me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you have that I have. This is important stuff here. This is powerful things. Powerful things are happening here. And powerful things need to happen in every Christian's life and should be happening on a regular basis. When God shows up, you'll have confidence. It starts with this. This is why John is writing here. He's getting... He's getting something very uh, important started in the letter, First John. He's getting something very, very much established here, and that is credibility. There's false teachers that are around. There's false teachers in the church, out of the church, and so John is dealing with all of that, and he's dealing with Christians that are being tempted to wander and drift away through false doctrine. And so he's establishing credibility. God in Jesus manifested. I heard his voice. I saw him, and I actually touched him. you got to have that kind of credibility. And the apostle's getting that as he's writing. Jesus is referred to in the text, if you look at it, as the word of life. Verse 2, he's called the life. In verse 2, at the end of verse 2, he's called eternal life. Listen, the life of God, the life of God. This is what's being manifested to John. God's life manifested to him as a person. And the apostle John here is saying that God's life was being manifest. Look at it in verse 2. Was made manifest. Look at the text. Again, later in verse 2, was made manifest. Two times in one verse, there is this manifestation. There is this, there is this process, the unfolding of something, this experiential Christianity that's happening here. It's shocking and it's stunning to John. And then when we read the text as modern Christians, I wonder if we're stunned and I wonder if we're shocked. And I think we have lost that in the modern evangelical church. I don't think we're shocked and I don't think we're stunned because I think that most Christians, most Christians aren't experiencing the manifest presence of the living God. They're just not doing it. It needs to be happening regularly. Is it happening in your life? Does God come up near you? Do you feel him? Do Do you touch him spiritually? Do you hear his voice? Is he with you? Do you know that he's with you through what you're going through? The manifest presence of the Lord will build confidence. When God shows up, you'll be more confident. I promise you. I promise you. You'll go into Reading. You'll go into wherever you are, your school, your workplace. You'll have so much more confidence when you know that God is walking with you. When God has spoken to you. When God has shown his character and his attributes to you, you will know. And you will have confidence. And this is where John's wanting to build this argument here. He wants them to know, these Christians to know, this is how you do it. This is what God does. He manifests himself. And when God manifests, something will happen to you. Something will happen to you. I'm telling you, I go to some churches, man, it seems like nothing is happening. Christians are standing there like statues. They're like mannequins. I did a message years ago called Mannequin Christianity. 
and I went and I grabbed a mannequin. I found a mannequin. You remember those mannequins? You know, you go to the store, they're kind of creepy now. They're all headless and stuff. You're like, ooh, you know, but mannequins in the old days, they had a full body. You know, you got to put some clothes on that thing. You know, but I got a mannequin. I called it Mannequin Christianity because Christians are like mannequins. And so they come to church and they're about as stiff as a wooden Indian or a mannequin and there's worship going on, there's nothing happening. There should be a physical manifestation of God in church services and there should be a physical manifestation happening to you. It should be happening to your mind, it should be happening to your tear ducts, it should be happening to your mouth, it should be happening to your hands, it should be happening to your legs, it should be happening everywhere, every part of who you are. If God shows up, you're not going to be the same person. You're not. And so churches are filled, I was in a church just recently, and they were singing a song, it was dead, it was dead. There was nothing going on, it was just words coming out of people's mouth, that's all it was. It was hitting the ceiling, it was falling flat. Because there's no manifest presence there. Listen, when, when somebody famous, think about somebody famous in your world. Maybe it's in history. Think about a famous person. I mean, somebody really famous. And that famous person comes near you and manifests near you. What happens? Do you get a little excited? Come on. Right? Who's one of your heroes? How about a political hero? Man, Ronald Reagan to me. Abraham Lincoln, another one, going back a few years. Abe Lincoln came into my presence, man, he's like real tall. I'm pretty tall, but I'd be looking up at Abe. I'd be like, whoa, this is Abe. Something would happen to me. My voice would change. My attention, my passion would change. It would affect me. It happens all the time. Here's one. Here's a very famous person, Elvis Presley. Oh, Elvis. Elvis is the king, you know that. And Elvis is alive, don't you know that? Now, Elvis Presley was a very famous person, huge celebrity. And when Elvis came into the room, when he manifested, do you think that people changed a little bit? Let me show you a picture of some change. Watch this. Let's pull that up. Whoa. Ah! Elvis! Tears. Girls were freaking out. Boys were freaking out. And that's the next picture here. And watch this. This, this poor guy's wife died. I mean, look at that. So she got overwhelmed with Elvis and just died. You know? She passed out. It's like, what? Listen, when God manifests, there should be something happening. If Elvis is going to come into the house or anybody else, celebrity-wise, and you're going to be like, oh, you know, and hands are going to go up, and you're going to be like hugging, you know, and things like that. And then Jesus comes around, and you're a mannequin? And you're a wooden statue? Something's wrong. Something's wrong. I love this. In verse 3, we proclaim to you, John the Apostle says, we proclaim to you. Oh, he wants his readers to hear it. The word of God manifest in a person. God showing up. This is Jesus. Jesus is showing up. Now it's his Holy Spirit that shows up. For what purposes? Look at verse 3. He mentions there'll be fellowship with us. You've got to understand that when Jesus is manifesting, when God is truly manifesting among the people of God, there's going to be real fellowship going on. You have to wonder when, when churches split and divide and all, all kinds of craziness has, happens. Do you know what's happening there? When all these churches have this drama fest going on? Do you know what it is? God's not manifesting. It's man manifesting. It's flesh because when God manifests, there's repentance going on, there's humility going on, there's holiness going on, there's love going on. 
This is important. Fellowship, he says, with us. Look at this. Faith, true faith equals true fellowship. I love this. It's koinonia. It's the Greek word. It means communion. Things that are in common. We have something in common, John the Apostle says. We have Jesus in common. He came. I heard his voice. I, I saw him. I touched him. I want you to experience the same thing. Oh, man, when's the last time you had spiritual goosebumps? You ever had spiritual goosebumps? When's the last time you cried because God showed up right next to you? You're saying a long time. A long time. I was talking to a woman yesterday. She's a dear lady. She came to church, I don't know, maybe about three weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, maybe a month ago. Uh, and, and during the song, she said she couldn't stop crying. What is that? It's the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's doing something. God is manifesting to her. It's a wonderful thing. Help our tears, Lord. I mean, help us to really know that you're near. Help us to really understand the manifest presence of God. Oh, I love this. I love this. You're saying, I I don't feel God. I don't feel his presence. I I don't think he's near me. I don't, I I can't, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do you have trust issues? Wait a minute, do you have baggage you haven't unpacked? If that, are you full of fear and anxiety? Well, you're not going to be able to comprehend, understand, or see, or experience the manifest presence of God if you're not walking in faith. You've got to walk in faith. Trust the Lord. You say, I don't feel like trusting the Lord. Oh, trust the Lord. Make a choice. That's what you do. You make a choice. You might not feel like it, but you make a choice. And then when you make the choice to obey the Lord and, f- and, and be in full faith as much as you know, then he's going to start revealing, opening your eyes and opening your ears, and those tear ducts are going to start to flow, and you're going to experience God, his manifest presence. Don't you want that? Don't you want that? In life, uh, storms can really, I mean, some killer storms, huh? A tornado c- touches down in Morgantown. I thought I saw Emily and Adam in the sky flying by. I was like, I thought that was Adam out there. <laughs> it was, it's crazy. Storms are nuts lately, right? And so it, it's happening. And so storms do what? I was driving through Morgantown looking at some of the, the damage and things like that, and people were alert. You ever find that to be true? Hard times come in your life, storms come in your life. All of a sudden, you're, you're, alert, you're alert, you're serious. This is serious biz. It ought to be like that with the Christian life. This is serious biz. Jesus and me, God, the, the glory of God, you know, and his manifest presence. It should be, I, it sh- I should be more serious about the presence of the Lord. Don't ever come into this room right now. We don't watch movies in here. We worship the Lord. Come another time and watch a movie in here. But when we come in here, it's the presence of God. And do you sense his presence? Do you feel his presence? Do you see his presence? Number two, that's number one, confident in the manifest presence of God. And how do you develop confidence in relationship to God? Number two, confident in our maintaining practice. Verse five, if you take your eyes there, notice John continues to go and he says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say, if we make a profession that we have fellowship with him, What's this say after that? While we walk in darkness, we lie and do not what? What's the word? Practice the truth. We're not practicing the truth. And so these are important words in the Greek, you know, grammar, and it's all imperative, and it's, it's continuous action, and it's, 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 it's like, God, if I'm walking, if I'm continuously walking, and if I'm continuously practicing the Christian life, then, then this manifest presence and this practice is going to go back and forth, back and forth, so we're not experiencing the manifest presence of God, I wonder, because we're not maintaining the practice of the Christian life. And so John is really wanting his readers to understand this because there were some that were in the church that were thinking they were Christians when in fact they might not have been. 
And so practicing Christianity is huge. Wouldn't you agree with that? Would you agree that we should be living the Christian life? Now, how many people lived the Christian life perfectly this past week? Raise your hand. I don't see one hand. And mine can't go up. I mean, we're not talking about perfection. We're talking about what? Direction. Direction. And devotion. You want, you want more of Jesus. You want more of his plans and his purposes for you. You know, and so, uh, listen, we've got to practice. We've got to practice at anything in life. There's no question about it. And, and so let me just give you an illustration of that. And suppose that I was asked to play the trumpet uh, for the president. And I was, and I've never played the trumpet in all of my life, not once. And so I was asked, would you come to the White House and would you play the trumpet in front of all of the, the big cheeses down in Washington, the presidents there, the vice president, and, you know, all of his leadership team. And then the cameras are on me, and I got millions of people watching all over the world, and, and I haven't practiced. And, and so I got up in front of all these people, and I don't even know how to hold this thing. And uh, what do I do? And I start to blow. Do you think... I little lightheaded there. Do you think that if I didn't practice this and I showed up at the White House to, to play in front of the president and millions of people that I would have confidence? How many people would say, yeah, you would have lots of confidence? No, I would not have lots of confidence. Why are we not confident in our relationship with the Lord? Because we're not following him. Because we're not following him. All right, let's get honest here. You ready? This is an honest church, right? We're not a dishonest church, I hope. So the last time that you sinned, the last time that you really messed up, Clark, when was that? Was that like uh, this past week at least once? Really? Did you swear? Come on, did you swear? I thought I heard you swear back there. No, I'm just kidding. So we sin. I sin. How many people, when you sin, you have less confidence? All of a sudden, something happens to your confidence in relationship to the Lord. Seriously, right? Is that true? You know, when I get fleshly and I do something I shouldn't do, think something I shouldn't think, say something, attitude, whatever the case may be, I don't have the confidence anymore. Something happens there. That's the way God designed it. And so we need to be practicing. I love this in verse 6, we walk. Notice it. In verse 7, he says the same thing to his readers. We walk in the light. I love that. We, we need to walk in the light. Have you ever tried walking in the dark? <laughs> Have you ever tried walking through your house in the dark? How many people, your, your little toe has like a brain of its own, it has a mind of its own, it wants to do its own thing. And your little toe, it's not your big toe, it's your little toe thinks, well, I'm just going to separate from these other four, and I'm just going to go over here to the coffee table, and bam, you know, right on the coffee table, and you're thinking, what in the world? How about you're walking through your house, and, and you step on a Lego? <laughs> And it's like the lid of hell just opened up and all swear words, swear words coming up out of hell and into your mind. Right? Are we just keeping it real here? Come on. And how about, how about, uh, newsflash, what do you do? Turn on the light. Don't walk in the dark. That's what John's saying. You don't want to walk in the dark. You want to walk in the light. I face planted so many times in the doors and walls because I didn't turn the light on. Just turn the light on. Walk in the light. I love this. It's a metaphor for Christian obedience. If you want to be a Christian, you've got to practice. 
I, I get a kick out of Christians who want to look like Christians, but they don't want to act like Christians. And so they think if they put that fish on the back of their car, I'm a Christian. Or they have their Christian t-shirt all the time on. I must be a Christian. That, kind of, that stuff is just Jesus junk, honestly. I mean, put it on your car. I'm not against it. We have the vertical logo that's on people's cars. It's on my car. It reminds me of verticality. That's all it is. But it doesn't mean I'm a Christian. It doesn't mean I'm acting like a Christian. Sometimes when I'm driving a little bit too fast, I'm afraid you might be behind me, and I'm like, well, I probably should slow down because somebody from Harvest Reading might see the logo on the back of my car. Kind of keeps you accountable a little bit. But it doesn't mean you're a Christian, so we want to act like, we want to look like Christians, but do we act like Christians? And so notice what John says back in the text, and we'll bring it to a close. Verse 8 and 9, he says, if we confess, if we confess, if we're confessing, this is the Greek tense again, if we are confessing, and then the, the word there, cleansing, do you see that? cleansing. It's, 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 it's going to be happening regularly. You confess your sin, God cleanses you, confidence comes back. This is how it works. He also goes on to say that if we say that we have no sin, right? Notice that? If we say that we have no sin, uh, what's it say about us or the person? We're lying. We're lying. You ever heard somebody say, well, I don't really have any sin. I don't have any sin. I'm a pretty good person. What's wrong with that guy? Well, he's not a Christian. Yeah, he's, a, he's not understanding sin. You got to understand sin. You got to understand that when, when you were born, you weren't born as nice of a little baby boy or baby girl that you thought your parents thought you were, right? You were about as selfish as selfish could get. And you pooped whenever you wanted. And you didn't care about mom and dad. And you wanted to eat anytime that you wanted. You didn't care about your mom and dad. Because you're born with a fallen nature. All of us are. We're born sinners, separated from God, and the only way back to God is through the cross of Jesus. It's through the gospel. It's through repentance and confession of your sin to Jesus and saying, Jesus, be my Savior. I want to follow you the rest of my life. That's the gospel. Have you made that decision? If you have not made that decision, would you make it today? Just simply call on the name of the Lord. You're starting to feel the weight of your sin. That's not a bad thing. God, forgive you of my sin. Jesus, you died on that cross for me. Come into my life. You're going to be my Lord and Savior. I'm going to follow you. I believe you died for me. I want you to come into my life. Holy Spirit, would you fill me up right now? You would be called born again if you make that decision. Hallelujah. So I'm going to close with this thought because I went online on how to develop confidence. I wanted to see what, what Google said. How to develop confidence. Can I recommend to you that if you want to develop confidence in your life, that you do not go online to try to develop confidence? Because what you're going to find on there is very interesting. You get this self-actualization techniques, and you just need to visualize, I, I am good-looking. And you just start talking to yourself, stuff like that. I'm as good-looking as Brad Pitt. In fact, I look better than Brad Pitt. You know, and you start, it's craziness. And, you, and there's this list of things, one after another. This is what you do. This is what you do. This is what you do. And I'm looking at that. They got it all wrong. Because confidence isn't built like that. True confidence. That's called pseudo-confidence. Real confidence is built when you're in relationship with God. And this is what John's been saying. And how is your relationship with God as we close? And we go to the Lord's table together.
How is your relationship with God? Is he manifesting his presence to you? And are you maintaining practice? That's how you'll know. And that's how confidence is built.